Welcome to the Customer Experience Management Podcast, hosted by Anders Gustafsson and Carlos Velasco. In this episode, Carlos interviews Hawk and Wickhelton about consulting and virtual reality business experiences. So welcome everyone to the Customer Experience Management Podcast. This is Carlos Velasco, and uh, we have been away for a couple of weeks, uh, but we are uh, coming back with a very special guest, uh, Hakon Vik Heltne. He is uh, actually one of my students, and he has uh, uh, you know, been working uh, for a company that his name is Implement for three and a half years, a consulting company, where he has been developing uh, very interesting projects. Um, at the moment, he's also doing a master uh, in business, a master of science in business. And I'm trying to kind of like summarize his aim in what I uh, found online, which he says he wants to help companies to solve worthwhile problems at one of the coolest consulting firms out there that it's implement. Always striving for excellence with a deep commitment to bridge the gap between strategic understanding and execution power while dissolving the boundaries between client and consultants. And I think that, you know, from the supervision work that I've been doing with Hawkon and what I've been seeing that he works with his companies, with the, his clients, you know, he's doing excellent work actually making this a reality. So Hawkon, I have been taking quite a bit of time introducing you, but I just want to hear from you. So welcome to the podcast and thank you very much for being here. Thank you so much, Carlos. First of all, I mean, it's awesome to be here. Uh, as you know, I've been following your work for quite some time now, uh, actually ever since we we met back in my uh, bachelor program at BI, where you held a, uh, an elective course in, in branding. Um, so it's uh, truly a great honor to be invited as a, as a guest to the podcast. Um, and thank you for the, for the kind words of introduction. Um, so maybe I'll start just to, to give some more context uh, as to why I've you know, made the career choices that I've made and maybe also why I'm sitting here today. Um, yes, that would be fantastic. So, so I think you know it all started actually back in um, back in high school when I was an uh, aspiring uh, soccer player. Um, so I used to play for one of the the top soccer teams here in Norway. It's called uh, Stabæk, uh, and decided during my last year of high school uh, at the Norwegian uh, College of uh, Elite Sports um, or School of Elite Sports that I would pursue my dream of becoming a professional football player, um, along with getting a college degree over in the, in the US. Um, so I made that choice and uh, being a student athlete in the in the US is um, uh, by far one of the best choices I've ever made. Uh, sometimes, of course, I wish I could go back there and, and live out the dream. Um, but then after after two year, years in the US, I decided to move back to Norway to be closer to my family and, and also uh, the love of my life, Christiane, which turned out to uh, be a pretty good choice as well. Um, mm -hmm. So that was kind of when uh, this all started with combining work and studies and, and a new chapter began. So um, so not long after I, I moved back from the, from the US, I started so switching out the, the studies and soccer for studies and work um, and then started out uh, doing some internships here and there, uh, working as a, as a research assistant, uh, actually in the marketing department at BI. Mm -hmm. um, and then quite soon after that, I, uh, I met one of my colleagues today at Implement Consulting Group through a, a guest lecture. Um, and I've been there now for the past three and a half years. Mm -hmm. um, and Implement is uh, 
as you mentioned in, uh, in, in, in the introduction, one of the, one of the coolest consulting firms out there. Um, I've been, uh, I've been lucky to be there for a while now, started out as a junior consultant and then, uh, uh I've gotten more and more responsibility and ended up getting a full-time position before I was, before I was, uh, I had completed my master's studies. So, uh, been on for a full-time position for more than a year now, um, which has been great. Of course, it's been a, a tricky balance, uh, working full-time and uh, combining it with master studies, but it's been, it's been going well. Um, and implement is, is quite unique for, it's been, it's been a good, uh, place for me to grow both personally and professionally as it's, um, it's, it's a large consultancy in a European context where 1000 uh, employees with offices all across Europe and also just open one in, in the U S. Uh, but in Norway, we were still rather small, which mm -hmm. means that, um, as a young consultant, I've been getting a lot of responsibility and been, um, taking on, you know, new and more challenging, uh, projects, which has been a great learning journey. Um, so yeah, I think that's, uh, a bit about why I'm here today and, uh, and also why you and I got to, to meet back in, uh, my, um, my bachelor days in, at BI. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things uh, that have got my attention, you know, from, uh, our kind of like informal interactions throughout the years is, uh, the focus that you put on the experience of your customers, you know, and, and that's one of the, the kind of like most, uh, natural starting points in the pot, pot, this podcast is to start talking about customer experiences. So I, I will basically want to start want to start uh, asking you this question. What is an experience for you, Hoffman? So in the, the consulting uh, kind of like work that you do with your clients, how do you define an experience? And, and yeah, why is it important? Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a really great question. And uh, as you know, I've been listening to, to the podcast and all the, the great thinkers that have answered this uh, question before me. Um, and I think it's, it's clear to me that, you know, experiences can be defined in so many different ways. Uh, but for me, I particularly like to think of it as impressions formed by specific events. So the impression part really, you know, implying that the memory of what happened in the moment is just as important as the experience itself, mm -hmm. which is something that for instance, Charles Spence and Janice Wang also pointed out. Um, but I think, um, you know, in my context, in the work that I do in implement, uh, it's all about helping organizations make real change and real impact. Otherwise we've kind of, you know, failed with our mission because that's where, why we're there. Uh, so it's, it's about leaving companies in a better place after they have worked with us, hmm. um, which is also defining our, our slogan change with impact. And I think it kind of captures, captures that, captures that. Um, so. That, that's why, I, you know, I choose to think about it um, when, when working with clients, it's about um, carefully, you know, crafting those sensory elements, which is, is, is also uh, quite familiar for you, I think, as, as it's uh, very much, you know, uh, overlapping with the, the, the definition that you have of multi-sensory experiences, because I think at the end of the day, it's, it's all about, you know, how can you... Um, craft these uh, uh, experiences and the sensory elements to make it a, um, a great experience for the client. And I think in, in most cases, it's about, you know, uh, making a, a real change that is, of course, in the, in the, in the presence of the moment, it's, it has to be a good experience, but it's 
it's more so about what happens after, after that you feel that you're uh, that you're actually you know you're left with something something extra and that's that's why we implement you know we always strive to to do the the little extra to to make sure that yeah. you know they remember us this was it's not like we just do this big project we solve their problems and then we just leave we want to make sure that you know they learn something from this and they feel that whether it's you know being more engaged in the actual experience or it's uh you know now we've learned some new skills and this is something i'll remember for you know a long time then it's been which you know, is something. quite quite interesting because if 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 i if uh, let me try to paraphrase that a little bit so if what you're saying is that you're not only assigning sort of like the experience for your customers for the present moment, which is important, right? You need to kind of like have an impression in mind, you know, you want change in the organization, then you kind of like craft a bunch of different elements so that you can, you know, create that experience. But it's also about thinking because you're thinking about change. It's also about designing the current experience so that you also impact the future experience, right? So you're kind of like trying to target a future experience by changing the current experience in a way. Yeah. And I think, you know, in order to do that, I think it's a lot about how you, you know, preparing for, for the actual experience, because that's what we do. We do a lot in an implement because a lot of the work we do is, you know, facilitating workshops, whether it's uh, digital. I mean, during the lockdown, it's been a lot of work there where you, you have to plan a lot, like, like how can you make a boring Zoom meeting engaging? And then it's, you know, all about setting up the right micro involvements, making sure that they feel like they're getting something more out of it. But mm -hmm. then I think more so what we're, you know, kind of one of the things that makes implement different is our physical workshops where we, you know, we try to engage the body and, and the mind by having, uh, you know, everyone is so used to having the, the PowerPoints, you, you just go through the, the presentation and it's, you know, kind of like uh, um, the same thing all over again. Mm -hmm. But for us, we, we try to use more posters, make it visual, put it on the wall, you know, having we use uh, index cards or, um, uh, you know, cardboard uh, cards that we put on the walls uh, and a lot of different colors and, and make it a bit messy because it's it's all about, you know, having, um, making it fun and engaging while uh, solving these uh, complex problems, as, uh, as you said, because, you know, when we're hired as management consultants, it's, it's typically because they have some or our clients have some some really tough challenges, um, mm -hmm. but I think it's it's important to make sure that you know we're staying engaged and that it's uh, uh, it leaves them with with a a real impact, which transforms into their future experience. So that yeah, that that is yeah. that that is interesting. Yeah. So uh, maybe let's try to make this a little bit more tangible. So when yeah. uh, in some of the conversations that we've had, you have told me that uh, you know you develop you you basically sometimes focusing develop great customer experiences for your clients such that you know uh, these basically transform into into change and impact so how is this process and i'm sure if you have some examples that you could give us yeah um so i think a good place to start would maybe be one of the the most recent projects that i took part in very exciting project uh, i must um, say myself I, of course i need to keep some of this or the name and stuff confidential. Uh, mm -hmm. But so we helped uh, a leading Scandinavian alpine skiing destination um, design their, their new commercial growth strategy. Um, and so their ambition was to, um, to take the leap from being a traditional winter skiing resort to becoming an all year mountain destination 
with a world-class commercial engine. And one of the key topics that we helped them with then was uh, to actually rethink their customer experience and design a more seamless customer journey. Um, and then I think, you know, when we work with customer experience projects, it's, it always has to start with the customer. You know, you need to make sure that the customer is at the, uh, at, at the center of, the, of what you're designing. So, so we start out by, uh, by setting that aspiration. So making sure that, you know, uh, this is aligned with the commercial strategy. So the overarching ambition and the vision that you have for, for the firm. Um, and then the second step in our process uh, is about really understanding the customers. Um, and for our client in the alpine skiing industry, that meant, you know, digging really deep into the, the needs and the wants of, of the target market. So we had, they already had to find their target market. So we knew which uh, geographical markets and, you know, the demographic uh, groups that we were aiming for. Mm -hmm. um, and then we had a thorough data collection phase with, you know, both the quantitative and the qualitative input. Um, and then. So for the quantitative part, we did actually one of the largest studies performed in the industry over the past five years, where we looked at preferences and needs for uh, the tourists in the, their predefined markets. Um, so it gave us around 4,000 uh, participants uh, across these different European markets, uh, which gave us, you know, a lot of insight into what they, mm -hmm. they really wanted when they came visiting these, uh, these destinations. Um, and then we also had part where we did mystery shopping, interviewed a large group of customers to uh, within the, the predefined uh, target markets, which of course is also crucial when you're designing the, the customer journey. So getting all the, you know, the core touch points mapped out and then understanding where it's really the pain points and what can we, what can we work with? Um, and then the, the next step in our um, our process then, where the third step is about, um, when you have that understanding, you can design the experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and here we used, you know, some of the common tools like customer journey mapping, where we, you know, we took this in insight and mapped it into a, a future ideal customer journey to mm -hmm. help them to, you know, visualize how can this, how can this look in a, you know, in the perfect world. Um, and then also looking more detail that, you know, suggestions for improvements. We, we use the service uh, blueprint. Um, and I, I think, you know, um, for our client, we had, of course, um, so we looked in the service blueprint, you look at, you know, both what happens front stage and also the support processes and, and backstage. Um, and for our client, we came up with some, some, of course, I can't get into all the details of the uh, improvements that we suggested, but we, for instance, you know, having more service points where the customers typically need help in the mountains and having, you know, more personalized and relevant communication through, for instance, an app. Um, and here, of course, we also used a lot of insight from what are the best, you know, the Alp destinations and the companies mm -hmm. uh, out in, in the U. Yeah, so we looked at all the, the benchmarks. Um, and then the next step after, you know, you've designed the unique unique experience, then it's it's all about making it happen and onboarding the organization. Um, so you also dive into the follow up process so that yeah. the implementation implement I guess goes. And that's yeah. and that's also part of you know why the name is there and what what makes sort of uh, implement special. I th I think for me it's 
all the projects I've been part of is, is also, I mean, we have the broad toolbox where we're really focused on ensuring that this is just not, not just, you know, a beautiful report saying that this is all the things that you need to do, but actually following up and then uh, helping them to, you know, we, uh, in this project, we actually designed a capability model. So looking at all the competences, systems, technologies that they need to succeed. Uh, and then we help them design a new organizational design uh, hmm. because the way they were rigged before wasn't, you know, compatible with, with where, where they were heading. They want to go. Um, and then, you know, now it's, and then the, the final step is, of course, as you, uh, you pinpointed, you know, fo follow up, making sure that it really happens. And also the impact measurements. So designing a set of KPIs to, to make sure that you're actually heading in the right direction and that you're seeing uh, the results. Yeah, this is super interesting, Hawk. And there are two things that, I, that, I, that I'm picking on uh, from what you're saying. Like the first one is, you know, you, in any case, you start, even if you're designing an experience for a company that is designing an experience for a customer, your starting point is the customer, right? So you track basically kind of like from the customer, go back and then design from there. But then the other part is that that, that interesting element that you are help designing an experience for a company, designing an experience, right? So how is that process of designing the experience for the company, designing the experience? Uh, what, 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 I mean, uh, it's, it's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, but I think it's, you know, the beauty of being a, a neutral part and, and coming in and seeing it, you know, uh, you're allowed to, you know, touch upon all the, the difficult areas while of course you, you want to you want to make sure that it's motivating and that it helps the organization but as you know uh, a party looking you know from the outside in perspective it's easier for us to get the the bigger picture uh, and I, I think that's also why I've really enjoyed consulting because you get to you know you get to work with so many interesting challenges but you uh, you kind of or at least in a customer experience project, you have to step into the, like, it's all about, for me, becoming really, if I'm a project manager or, you know, a, a consultant on one of these projects, I have to get really geeky about what the customer really wants. Yeah. So going even further than the client, that's that's the goal, you know, for me to be to be able to tell them, you know, this is what the, the customer wants and come with come up with something new and exciting that, you know, is... Uh, is leaving them in a better place, as I, as I said before. Um, but but I think it's also interesting. From, you know, I've been working with a lot of B two B clients and B two C, and of course, it's uh, it's a, a quite a big difference. Uh, where it, it it is still a, a difference, I think, in in the way you work with those kind of experiences and and crafting them. Um, but I, uh, you know, it's or. My impression, even though they're different, is that the dynamic. Um, so in in this project, the the B two C project here, of course, then it's about understanding the customer. But but I think the two, uh, even if I've worked on also a lot of similar types of project in B two B, I think my impression is that the dynamic is becoming more and more similar. Um, so you know the, the practice of designing experiences is converging. Um, so, you know, seeing that now the project bef before this in the alpine skiing industry was for a, a B2B tech company, but in that case, they were also, um, it was more about understanding the customer there as well, because they're moving along the, the product service continuum. Uh, so, you know, more towards servitization, uh, in their business model. 
and then you see that you know a lot of the same things goes on there while you know it's still maybe the notion that b2b is more professional uh, and that it focuses more on the minds than the hearts uh, but i think you know b2c and especially in this project in the skiing industry was uh, maybe even more about uh, talking to the hearts uh, than the minds yeah um, but I, but i still feel like you know i think the bottom line for me as you know working as an external party on designing customer experiences is you know it's it's so much fun to be uh, to be looking from the outside and to be allowed to come up with crazy ideas and uh, mm. you know get challenged uh, back by of course they they hold uh, to some extent you know the truth because they've been there like for a very long time and there's of course things that they can challenge but we we have to dare to be bold and you know come up with some um, some interesting and and maybe some some crazy new ideas and i think that's uh, i i think what you're saying is quite quite uh, relevant you know it's like they, they are the ones that are at the forefront of it so they have in a way a truth but the yeah. truth is also the box that kind of like a kind of like creates the limits for what they can think of right so you as an external party coming from outside that box then you can say okay wait, wait a minute you know like you do have a truth but there are these other things why don't we just consider them right this is very interesting Hoku. so there is one thing uh, that i want to uh, talk about with you now which is you know in this in this process of design of you designing experiences for your clients you have talked that one of the the key elements that you do there is uh, uh, having like these workshops right that sometimes you have online workshops sometimes you have offline workshops and uh, sometimes you know you kind of like mix uh, and stuff like that and that basically uh, led you to a very interesting uh, thesis topic um so uh, i'm lucky to be a supervisor of this of this topic uh, i think it has already provided some interesting uh, insights uh, and and basically the the idea that you came uh, uh, with was you know like we are going seeing all these sort of uh, digital transformations uh, in mixed reality virtual reality and now we're starting seeing people having more and more meetings on Zoom, of course, since the pandemic. But what about virtual reality meetings, right? So you came up with this thesis topic of kind of like understanding a little bit better how meetings happen in these places and what defines the quality of a meeting. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, no. So uh, as you said, you know, we're exploring the or the adoption of virtual reality in the business meeting context. Um, and I think, you know, it's quite uh, relevant or good timing for it now because there's so much talk in the in the media recently about about VR uh, especially during fall of last year when uh, when Mark Zuckerberg and, and Facebook announced you know changing their names their name from Facebook to Meta um, and also presenting their the vision of the the metaverse um, so it, it feels right with with the timing and it's very uh interesting and exciting space a lot a lot is going on there um so i think it's um um a very exciting project uh, indeed and um if if i were to you know begin with some some background as to to why we uh we ended up with the with the topic um i think it's you know for me at least it starts with i've always been quite geeky and uh, intrigued by new technologies um you know how it can be used to create better experiences um working with with several projects during my time in and implement with with tech companies 
Um, and I also have, you know, th that passion for, as we talked about, gatherings, bringing people together in a meaningful way through workshops, uh, for instance. And, and this has been very much fueled by working in an implement consulting group. Mm -hmm. um, and then, as you pointed out, you know, meeting you back in, uh, in my bachelor's studies also sparked that interest for, for multi-sensory experiences, um, which, which then, you know, gave us some, a lot of different areas that we explored on, on the way before ending up with, with the final topic. So we, we looked into diff different areas within multi-sensory experiences um, and, also, and also new technology and we're really fascinated about those, um, th those topics. And then um, along the way, I've had so many great role models to guide me in the right direction uh, from from my families on, on both mine and my fiance's side being very interested in uh, in, in business and the technology um, and also inspiring colleagues and in, in implement and and we have all these thought leaders that we're collaborating with and implement um, and i i think really what uh, drove us to this topic was um, related to the the covid 19 pandemic because uh, a lot of things were accelerated uh, on the digital transformation side through through the through the pandemic um, and during uh, lockdown um, in, in implement we were I think we're one of the few uh, consulting firms that really um, kind of excelled uh, during that uh, that time uh, and I'm quite proud of what we were able to accomplish and in, in a short amount of time developing uh, new services uh, and you know, despite many consulting firms saw a drop in demand for their service, but we actually did the opposite and we saw uh, more demand um, with examples such as we developed a, a concept called on-point on sessions, which were free bite-sized webinars just to inspire our clients and to help them get back on track. Mm. Um, and then we, we also developed a lot of material for virtual facilitation uh, virtual sales, uh, and from that we also published a few books. Um, and for me, this this period also, as I was working full time in the company, I a lot of the things I did was to um, facilitate these. Uh, or now it feels like you know endless meetings in in Zoom and, and Teams. Uh, and I definitely feel like we were able to create value from that, making these meetings more fun kind of uh, avoiding some of that Zoom fatigue that we hear so much. But I mean, still, um, even if you can make it a lot more fun than just a reg regular traditional video conferencing meeting, um, my master buddy, Isa Gatsura and I, we, we felt like there was clearly some uh, limitation that, was, that were always gonna be there for traditional video, video conferencing. So even if you know there were new functionality you could use uh, annotation functions to draw on the on the screen things you know things were developing but it was always some barriers that we or our hypothesis was that um, many of these barriers could be overcome with VR um, and that you know led to this I think a very natural and exciting extension of the work that implement uh, had done on virtual facilitation looking into to VR in a business meeting context. That is super interesting. Uh, 
I didn't know all the details of the background story, so it's kind of nice to see how you know everything uh, connects together. So it's 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 nice that uh, it matches, and you know it's it's it not only matches kind of like a relevant area of working which you are at, but it's also kind of like one of the questions that many uh, people in 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 research are also asking themselves, right? Is like what 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 is that that VR brings to the table that we don't have in this traditional. Uh, uh, kind of like uh, tra- traditional, you know, video conferences, which we say traditional, but they haven't been here for a long time either. Yeah, right? so it's kind of interesting how the technology is evolving so quickly. Yeah. But I agree, you know, it's like probably not the, the, the traditional one. So um, one of the things that you started this project with was sort of like with a with a with a survey about kind of like uh, barriers of adoption of VR technology and sort of different elements of, of what is you know what is the, the landscape of this VR adoption in in particular in businesses in, in Scandinavia uh, w- what can you say about that about me yeah um, no so uh, yeah we, we started uh, gathering some evidence looking at uh, behavioral intent intent to adopt VR in, in business and then the barriers uh, related to adopting VR um, so the aim of this pre-study that we conducted was to understand the determinants of behavioral intent. Uh, um, so we, we we made this questionnaire, distributed it to professionals and students in higher education in the Scandinavian market, uh, largely uh, from you know professional networks uh, of you as our supervisor uh, and from Implement Consulting Group and the company that Isaac is working for. Uh, and then we, um, to, so we obtained close to 200 respondents, primarily from, from Norway and Denmark. Um, and then we, to test or for this, uh, the questionnaire, we used pre-existing measurement skills for based on adoption theory and diffusion of innovations. Um, and what we found is, I think, you know, people are certainly very fascinated and intrigued by uh, the fact that VR um, can offer truly immersive experiences. Uh, but we still saw that the technology didn't seem mature enough for uh, adoption in the, in a business context in the near future, because that's what, what we were looking at. And then we also found some really interesting things about the, the barriers. We, we saw that uh, respondents find the price uh, still a barrier. Uh, uh, personal interest was a, challenge, a barrier for some. Set, the setup time and the comfort of the device. Uh, and we also find found some uh, significant differences between the active users and the non-active users, which was quite uh, interesting. And I think the the key takeaway there was that it might look uh, better from marketing than it uh, than it really is. So the non-active users found it, you know, the the barriers like the comfort of the device and and um, and also the, the the setup time to be less of a problem than the active users. So. There are still some uh, some challenges when you actually buy the the headset. It seems like, um, and um, so uh, I think the first uh, there were actually I think four key takeaways that we found from uh, from the, from the pre-study. Uh, first, as I said, it's uh, VR is will mo- most likely not be used uh, at lar- at a large scale for business meetings in in the near future, uh, and I think that's also supported by uh, external research um, saying that you know the tech nor the employees are are fully ready for uh, a f- fully immersive uh, VR workplace um, 
but still it's uh and, and and i can also go go back to that in terms of we our main study but i i think at least based on what people their perception when they when they're asked about this is that it's not uh, quite quite ready um but then we also found that through our questionnaire that the the respondents feel that vr is more engaging more immersive than uh, traditional video conferencing mm -hmm. um and I think that's, uh, you know, uh, it, it's clear that VR might not be completely ready, but it has uh, many of the the functionalities and, you know, the aspects that could help us overcome the barriers of, of uh, traditional or traditional video conferencing. Yeah. Um, and, and then we also found that people uh, tend to believe that VR will make them feel more emotionally present uh, and that it actually is compatible with uh, performing successful meetings. So it's, it, it's, it has, you know, as I think uh, a really good um, study, external study that we also found from Stanford uh, found that um, VR is in fact a better communication mode uh, than Zoom um, when it comes to performing group work, um, because it, you know, you can read the nonverbal cues. Uh, because you, you know, leaning in, making eye contact. Uh, they also have some of the the best apps now in in VR. You can also do high fives, and you, you get a lot mm. of more of that uh, interactivity, interactivity. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and I think finally, also, we found that, um, as I as I mentioned briefly, that there is a a difference between um, what people that have never tried it before uh, and are not aware or are aware, but I've never used VR uh, than the active users. Uh, from the non-active users, it's a, it's a tendency to be more interested, more exciting about the technology and, and wanting to try it. So the behavioral intent was significantly higher for, um, for active or for non-active users uh, than mm -hmm. active users. So, which, which indicates that you know, there's an excitement in the in the mass market wanting to to look into this and, and trying it in a in a business context. Uh, whereas the people that have tried VR maybe for gaming and stuff like that don't really see that it's it's in in the same way. There's still a uh, an optimism in the market, but it's from the pre-study. It seems like um, the marketing from uh, from uh, Mark Zuckerberg and, uh, and Microsoft and Meta has uh, has did some uh, some work at least. That is uh, super interesting because from 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 everything what you're saying, uh, I I have some kind of like key takeaways. The first one is it will become very important to do a, a very clear segmentation when it comes to you know uh, promoting VR technology as means for business meetings, because yeah. depending on whether you have already used it or not, you might see different kind of like barriers to kind of like using using it. But the interesting part, though, is that uh, it does seem that uh, some of the characteristics of VR actually overcome those that you said from traditional business uh, uh, video conferencing meetings, I guess. So there is potential. It's it's what I can read from, from what you're saying. And by the way, this is a general comment for those who are listening. Uh, actually, there is a, a main study where Hawken and his teammate compare offline meetings with Zoom and VR. We cannot get into the details of that right now because that's still kind of like a, a work in progress, but there will be an article about it uh, at some point in the near future. So please keep tuned. Uh, uh, we will tell uh, more about it and yeah, 
Hakon will spell out some of the, the implications of these of this uh, interesting research. Hakon, I have a question as a consultant. So I am a company and I want to use VR uh, for meetings and other uh, tasks in my company. What would you tell me? What should I consider? I, I think, you know, uh, when considering um, using VR for, for, for business and uh, investing in it, it's, you know, the decision of being, are you, are you going to be an early adopter? Are you willing to, to take, the, take the chance because you're seeing that uh, things are moving fast in this market and there are definitely potential? Uh, then it's, you, you need to look at the, the purpose. Is this something that, are we struggling with, if we're working remotely, are we struggling with engagement, keeping, uh, keeping the team happy and motivated? Um, then there's definitely usage situations, use cases where, where VR can definitely make an impact. We have some, some cool examples of that from, from the Norwegian market here where uh, we've actually been uh, invited to, to this HR tech conference, Isak and I, to present some of our, our findings in, uh, with um, some of these early adopters. So there's a publishing firm uh, called Trisk Forelag that invested in, in VR headsets for all their employees uh, and have seen great results of switching from the traditional video conferencing format using having all their meetings in Zoom to now meeting up in, uh, in VR. And it's both from a productivity aspect, they've been able to, uh, to see great results, but also uh, most importantly, I think the engagement part that it, it makes it more, more fun. Um, so it's, it's definitely, um, which I, I think of course the engagement, as I, as I said in my intro as well, I think a lot of, um, the core to, to, to making people happy and motivated and to stay is to, to make sure that the engagement, uh, is, is high. Um, but then of course, also for, for managers looking into this, you have to, you have to think about the purpose of the technology. And there are definitely some areas where it's, where it has, there, we see more successful applications, uh, than others. Um, if you look to the automotive industry product design, uh, it's, it can be very nice to have, to have these VR apps where you can visualize, uh, a prototype before you spend, uh, lots of money on, uh, on building expensive prototypes. You can see it in, in VR. Then I think. For instance, we have uh, BMW, uh, which has been very successful with with using VR. Uh, also, I think, you know, especially for the team building, uh, the onboarding uh, um, side of, of business, it's it's a lot of successful applications. Uh, we also we have, for instance, Accenture investing, uh, the consulting firm investing in 150,000 headsets uh, to make this fully. Uh, immersive virtual onboarding uh, and team building space, uh, which is really interesting. Um, there's also a lot of uh, examples from from tourism, real estate, seeing things, you know, feeling like you're you're actually there, being being present. Um, so I think um, for me, also without going too much into the details of the main study, I, I think there's 
definitely a bright future looking both at you know how far the technology has come today uh, but if you look into the future and see the uh, see what's cooking uh, behind what 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 are they really working on trying to you know come up with new cool functionality in in the apps that we already have but also seeing what's happening from from apple from microsoft from facebook in the next two three years uh new headsets coming out we're also seeing something i think it's super interesting is uh, the project from from microsoft with that's called holoportation project um which is kind of coined as the next big thing in remote work uh where you can see hear and interact with others in uh, 3d as if they're actually present so you kind of teleport into into mm. the room um so then you get more into the mixed reality but but for me just uh to wrap it up i think it's it's a really cool uh, space to look into and maybe as a as a tip for for managers who are uh, intrigued by this you know starting small investing in some headsets to see how it works maybe having you know some um, some of these creative workshops for leadership teams um to see if uh, if this could actually be uh, applied in the larger scale in the organization um because once you once you start trying it, I, I, I think for sure it's, uh, it's a lot of cool applications that you can have from, from VR. That is interesting. So, so, so yeah, I think I, I like that, that advice or sort of like start small experiment and, and kind of like see how it can be integrated into current processes, I guess, uh, so, so that it works. But I also like very much what you said, which aligns a lot with uh, some of the advice that I give both to my students and my, my, my clients, which is, a meaningful use of technology. Think mm. what is the purpose, right? Don't just implement the technology because it's trendy, but think what is the purpose and what sort of return will it give you? Because if it's cheaper and less, and le uh, maybe if an alternative is cheaper and less um, of a hassle to implement, then maybe you just go for the alternative. But of course, there are like all these advantages, right? But if they're going to give you a return, then of course, go for it. So I, I like that. Hawken, I have uh, two final questions. Uh, our time is uh, flying and this conversation yeah. has been very interesting, but I have uh, two final questions. The first one is, I mean, I guess it's it's very uh, difficult to have a, 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 a like a, a real answer to it, but what are the ethical implications that you may think of when it comes to using VR uh, in 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 kind of like this business context, uh, I mean, I guess it's uh, we we already spend like a, a a lot of time in front of computers, you know, like all the different things. I guess VR has also like this immersive and interactive part of which may allow for more movement. I, I mean, I don't know. What do you have any thoughts about this? Yeah, um, it's a, kind of a, a a very important question, I, I think, and um, you know, the ethical considerations is. Uh, is something that is very important in the work that I do and, and implement and, and for all of us. Uh, and I, uh, I think a good starting point always with, uh, with thinking about this is, is, is actually um, related to, to what you and Mariana Obrist uh, writes about in, uh, write about in, uh, in the book, multi-sensory experiences where the senses meet technology, um, where you, you, because it's multi, by definition, I feel like VR is very much a multi-sensory experience. You have so many of the senses involved, and there you talk about how uh, it should, the experience should be used for good, and it must not not harm others. I think that's a 
of course, something that should should be applied when you think about designing experiences in in VR and using VR for business, uh, and that the the user should be treated fairly. It's the the second law of uh, of um, multisensory experiences and the ethical considerations, and then also that the the someone and the sensory elements must be known. Um, but I I also think from a from a VR perspective that there are uh, things that you need to consider like um, there are definitely some some challenges today like um, can we you know is it is it good for you to stay in a VR headset for for longer than three four hours I mean we we've been testing out so many different apps and, and trying uh, VR for for a long time and we definitely see that it's still you know heavy headsets making there might be some uh, uh, with extended usage usage if you use it too much if you don't listen to the safe safety warnings and 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 use it in the, the safe amount there can be uh, dangers so it's uh, it's about using it in in the right way and uh, and knowing when and uh, and why you're using it so and then of course there are also um the, the risks and the questions asked about the privacy. It's a new technology. Uh, are we uh, are we sure that these big tech companies and the new apps are um, are using the data in a in a good way? And that you're also making sure that uh, you know related to the first point that it must uh, um, it must do good and must mustn't harm others. We know that they're can be some dark uh, places on the web and that there, there are apps where, you know, uh, bad things can can happen. Um, so it, it has to be in a controlled environment. Uh, and of course, you always need to make sure that you you ask the, the right questions. Uh, I think also what I've learned from, uh, from this, uh, a really good course I, I took in my master program was uh, in ethics. Um, we talked about this navigation wheel de uh, developed by Evin Kvalnes and Einar Överenge, uh, which is, of course, something you, you can think of in designing these experiences and in VR also, where you first you need to ask, is, is this legal? Uh, is it in accordance to our values, um, which is identity? And then morality, is it, is it right? Uh, reputation? Um, Will it affect our our goodwill uh, and economy? You know, it's it should be in accordance to the business objectives, and then also, finally, that it the decision that you make or the experience that you design has to be justified. So, in in terms of the the ethics, so it's a big question, but I, I think it's something that you definitely need to think about when going into new and exciting spaces like like VR. You know, like there, there's a lot of uh, elements to unpack from what you just said, but I'm going to highlight three of them, which I, I find that that are quite uh, interesting. The first one is, you know, and I like that you just threw back to me like the the, the ethics model of multisensory experiences, <laughs> because in a way, you know, that that was the purpose for what we designed, but we cannot anticipate all the moments in which it can be used. But, you yeah. know, I think more than talking about that specific model or the one that you just mentioned is this idea mm -hmm. that, when we introduce a new technology, we should have a sort of like ethical framework in mind, right? Mm. It's like, how are we going to use this technology? And technology mm. is not good or bad by itself, but uh, the way we use it is what determines whether it's good or is bad. So having yeah. sort of like a uh, an ethical, you know, like 
or a series of ethical principles in mind should guide or may guide better your implementation of the technology. The second thing that I, I kind of like want to highlight from what you said is we need to figure out how it affects us. You know, we don't know exactly what does it mean if we are going to spend, I don't know, instead of the six or eight working hours in front of the computer that we spend, let's say, five to seven hours in VR, how does that affect us? So it might, it might even be um, important or, or interesting and perhaps very important to have sort of like a safety guidelines on how to use it. But that is something, of course, that will be determined with time, you know, and, and, and as more research comes with these new headsets and, and immersive technologies that we have. Yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on. And just a quick quick comment there. I think that's yeah. also a key implication for this uh, um, this tech these tech companies developing this. You know, they they need to really make sure that they research on what's um, what's the needed functionality. How can we make sure that because we see a lot of competitors of uh, of Meta's business apps now trying to make it as simple as possible because that makes it you know you can sit longer in uh, in VR if it's if it's not too much going on at the same time it's a lot more difficult to be in in VR doing the the games than than sitting down and but definitely a lot of work has to happen and i think it's also much focus on this from uh, from the side of the developers uh, it should be at least I agree. I agree. You know, it should be at least. Yeah. <laughs> we, we will see how it turns out to be, but uh, I agree that there should be some sort of like, you know, not only research on the development of the devices and the functionalities, but also on the implications that those developments and functionalities have on the user in the long term, which is something that I guess with technology, we don't do so much. I mean, we, we, we're still figuring out what are some of the long lasting effects of smartphones, right? So yeah. to the very least, we're going to know with VR, but it's nevertheless important. And the final point that I wanted to mention for what you said is uh, it kind of like touches on GDPR, like legislation about privacy and security of data. You know, it's like we're going to have so many digital data touch points, uh, so so many digital touch points and data deriving from these touch points that the way in which that data is managed and used is also something that we should kind of like reflect on, you know, and consider ethically uh, to see how it, how it turns out to be. So yeah, thank you so much for, for that that answer, Harkin. Lots of uh, material to think there. Um, the last question is, you know, this is more like a personal question. So I have been seeing uh, throughout the, the past uh, months that, you know, like uh, the, the way in which you have approached your studies and your work is, is inspiring, you know, and, and BI uh, has even showcased uh, in some videos the way in which you have, you know, like combined these two and uh, how you have been kind of like approaching consulting and your work at Implement. So this podcast, although, you know, we have now listeners from different business schools and people in industry, we still have a, 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 a lot of students, both at BI and in other business schools that are listening to this podcast. So my, my, my question is, given your experience and your kind of like the work choices and the study choices, what, what would you recommend them to, to kind of like have a successful path, let's say, in consulting or, or their working lives, I guess? Yeah, so um, I think I've been reflecting a lot on you know during the the past the past years of working as much as I, I have and uh, and combining it with, with full time studies. Uh, as you said, also it's been showcased a couple of times on uh, at BI. So I've I've had to to think about this uh, a few times, and also with junior consultants coming in to implement, trying to come up with some some good advice. Uh, but for me, I, I think it's it's a lot of uh, 
it, it's very personal. I mean, it has to come from uh, from you. You have to make the choices that feel feels right for you. Uh, in my situation, um, I don't regret any of the the choices I, I've made. Uh, as I talked about, I, it started out with with me having you know really high ambitions for uh, a soccer career. Uh, figuring out that uh, uh, I wanted to to go back home to be with my fiance in, in, instead, and and from that I'm kind of it was a turning point in my life where I decided now I wanted to work. Uh, I was really uh, passionate about what I did. I found a great place in Implement where I could uh, uh, I could really thrive. I I saw that I was making a value uh, for my clients. I had fun at work uh, and. Kind of one thing led to another in terms of taking on more uh, responsibility. And for me, uh, I got energy from being in an implement. It made uh, studies easier because I had so much uh, valuable insight from uh, from the consulting industry that I could bring into my studies. So where, of course, there has been times where it's been too much work and you need to make sure uh, that you set aside time for the most important things in life. I think in the end, for me, it's been definitely the right choice of combining um, work with, with studies, but you have to find the right balance. And, and that has always been a struggle. And what I tell mm. also my friends and those, those who ask is uh, <laughs> the thing that has to come first always is uh, your life and your health. Uh, so, it's not for everyone and you shouldn't be, you should never be, you know, taking on too much, but as long as it makes you happy, then I think it's, uh, it's, it's a good choice. Uh, but always find that balance that works for you. Um, because mostly it's been, uh, a great journey for me and I've had a lot of fun, but I've also seen that sometimes when it's a really challenging project and you, uh, or at least I have a tendency to being too too much of a perfectionist, going really deep mm. into things. Then you can really find yourself in a in a difficult uh, place. So uh, so far, it's been uh, it's been working out really well for me. Uh, but I don't think my recipe is the <laughs> recipe for everyone, to put it that way. So um, find you your go. own way. I think. Yeah, but it's quite interesting from what you're saying because I do. Uh, there is like a as you are speaking, there is a quote from uh, Nietzsche that is coming to my mind that says almost something like, uh, if you have a why, you can bear almost any how. Mm. And I would add, as long as you have balance, you know? So it seems to me that you have had kind of like a why, why we're doing things, what is the meaning in you doing the things that you're doing? And as long as that meaning is standing, you know, you have been able to go through the things that you that are helping you, you know, to construct that, that why. Uh, always with an iron balance, you know, so that so that you you don't get lost, you know, in the in the how. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think it's ultimately it all comes down to the to the why. So having doing the things, uh, I like to think of it as you know, doing more of the things that gives you energy and uh, taking away the stuff that drains you for energy. And then it's uh, I think as long as you you know why you're really doing this and and seeing the purpose of it then um for me it's it's been 
I've always, I mean, of course, it's safe to see, say, say that I've always been very competitive as, as well. So it all comes a lot back from, from the, the time of being a football player. And I've been, you know, driven by uh, always taking on more and, and seeing that uh, uh, this is really bringing, adding value to our clients or at school, you know, seeing that we're, um, we're seeing the results that we want. So, so I think, uh, but that can also be a danger, as I said. So, so make sure that you're uh, you're taking care of yourself first. Uh, but if you if you find something that you're really passionate about, just go for it. That is very nice, Hakon. Thank you so much for being in the podcast. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Um, so, yeah, no, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Mm-hmm.